0: Everyday witches emerge from the shadows of secrecy. Broom closets are flinging open and witches are taking flight. Whether you are hiding in your cozy closet or flying with pride, stay for a spell as Witchcasting with Theodora Pendragon and her guests share magical moments, stir the cauldron, and debunk misinformation and misconceptions about paganism, witches, and our wonderful world of magic.
1: Welcome to Witch Casting with Theodora Pendragon. I'm Theodora. Today my special guest is Lady Decana. She's been a witch for over 25 years, so we have a little ground to cover. Welcome Lady Decana.
2: Thank you very much for having me. I'm happy to be here.
1: Over 25 years. Where would you like to start as far as how you came into the craft?
2: If we go really far back to when I was a young child. Um, I always had a deep connection with nature. Um, I used to spend a lot of times outside. Of course, this was way before the internet when people used to actually be outside all day and come home at night. So uh, very strong connection with nature and spirits. I always believed in angels and spirit guides because I would have visions of them i would see them as a child so i always knew that there was something greater than myself something mm, something higher like a higher energy that existed around us and through us and i would say that was probably evident early on but it wasn't until i got into my teen years that i came to witchcraft now i was raised loosely catholic i say loosely because when i was a kid we would go to church occasionally my parents put me in ccd classes and i had to get confirmed and all that in the church as i got older my parents stopped going to church so i was just doing ccd classes um once a week i did get my confirmation i tried to get out of it a lot of times cuz i always felt like the church was i liked church i liked the incense i liked the candles i liked the ritual of everything around it i could feel the energy but i didn't like what they taught i didn't like how women were treated as subservient second class and so i always had a love hate relationship with god in the church for that reason and so even though i was going to ccd classes my aunt and my mother i was raised very unconventionally i was raised by my mother and my aunt it's a whole Dr. Phil episode, if I go into it, but um, (laughs) they were ultra-religious. Like Religion wasn't discussed in the house. They stopped going to church. So the only time I ever went to church was CCD. And I tried many times to get out of it. I would say, well, if you can prove to me that God exists, then I'll stay. And they're like, no, you're going. You're going to get confirmed because their their reasoning was that you— Well, they wanted me to get confirmed so that I could get married in the church. So I think it was more along the case of we were raised Catholic, so you're raised Catholic, that sort of thing. So fine. So I I did end up getting confirmed. After that, I was actually really excited to be finally rid of religion. I wasn't looking for a religion. I was very scientific minded i was more interested in like astronomy and things like that and i was kind of like well i don't know that i believe in god uh or any of that so after i was confirmed i kind of just put religion aside and then witchcraft came to me shortly after that and it was completely by accident or i should say on purpose cuz i don't believe in accidents i believe everything happens for a reason i was cleaning out my room and i had a bunch of um teen magazines. I collected them like crazy in my teens. And I was just flipping through them and putting them in the garbage pile, which ones I'd keep, which ones I'd throw. And there happened to be an article, one-page article in one of the magazines that I had missed talking about witchcraft and Wicca from someone who had trained with Lori Cabot in Salem, Massachusetts. Lori Cabot is the official witch of Salem for those who don't know that. And the article talked about the connection to nature and spirits and the god and the goddess and magic. And the connection with nature is actually what really intrigued me the most about it. I wasn't sure that I believed in the gods, and I wasn't really sure what to make of magic. So the whole nature aspect is what drew me to it. And after that, I started buying books on witchcraft. My first book was Bucky's... Blue book, as they call it, uh, Raymond Buckland's book, The Great Book of Witchcraft. I
1: think that's everybody's first book.
2: It, yeah, I was actually looking for Laurie Cabot's book, Power of the Witch, but they didn't have it. You know, back then, it was like we had one bookstore nearby. They had a very small metaphysical section. It wasn't like today. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have, unless you happen to live near a large bookstore or a metaphysical shop or witch shop. You didn't really have a lot of options. So yeah, that was my first introduction, my first book. And I think my first tarot deck was, of course, the Rider Waite. Because again, that's all that they really had available back then. So that was my introduction uh, to witchcraft. That's what got me started. And it's been a very long journey.
1: You started out as a solitary. Have you always been solitary? No. I started off a solitary. I was 16 at the time,
2: and most covens then, I don't know about now, but I know about back then, most covens would not take anybody who's under the age of 18, for obvious reasons. You know, witchcraft was becoming a little bit more popular, was becoming, it's, you know, Lori Cabb been working since the 70s, and then you have Gerald Gardner in the 50s who brought it all out. So it's always been evolving and changing, but it was still very misunderstood, in the 90s at that point in time. So anyway, I started off as a solitary. I just bought books. I think I bought some Scott Cunningham books too, as well as Lori Cabot's books. And I practiced my own ritual in my bedroom by myself. Uh, I set up a really tiny little altar and just did everything as a solitary, as an intuitive, just followed the books at the time and did very small rituals and prayers working with nature and with the gods, even though I still didn't know how I felt about that. I was just kind of trying to experience the energy at the time. But yeah, no, I was solitary for a couple of years. It wasn't until I went to massage school that I met someone in my class, Jason, and he worked at a witch shop not far from me in Manchester, Connecticut, called The Goddess Shop. That was my first introduction to meeting other witches. They had at the time, they had these open circles that you could go to at the store where they would just sit in a circle and they'd talk about the goddess. And it was at the time that shop was run by a Dianic witch. So it was all very goddess oriented specifically, but I would go to the circles, meet other witches, other people interested. I'd attend the rituals and eventually I joined a coven there and began my training as a witch, officially in a group, in a coven. That was in the early 2000s.
1: How did that experience in the Dianic tradition differ from being a solitary?
2: Mm. Well, you had to attend all Sabbaths. You had regular classes where you would meet with The classes at the time were taught in small groups of women, so it provided more structure for starters. Plus, you get to experience witchcraft with people who have been practicing for years. So I got to see how they did their rituals. I got to learn their format of ritual creation, which from a Dianic perspective at that time was very intuitive. So there wasn't like a set type of ritual you did for every ritual. It was always unique and different. I met other witches, which helped give me some support to have other people to communicate with. And when you're in a coven, I think you have the opportunity to learn things you're not going to learn in a book in a coven due to their experiences. So there's positive and negatives to both solitary and, uh, group work but it provided me the structure and just gave me a good foundation in my practice.
1: Did you leave that coven?
2: Yeah. Yeah, um it's a very long story. I'm not going to go into all of it, but basically the store had closed down. They officially created a church, like a legal church called the Church of Diana, so it was a legal entity now. Um, The owner of the store closed the store down, but the church was relocated to a new location in Connecticut, so a different uh, place. And the founder left the church as well, and so we had different priestesses running it. And for a while, I had actually left just because the drive there was so long. It was like a 45-minute drive, which now that I live in Montana, that's nothing. But back then in Connecticut, that seemed like a long drive. So. I was like, I don't I don't know if I can keep doing this with the the drive. So I never finished my training in that group. I had left. And then I think after that the group I was originally in had been initiated, I came back and entered the second group that had started. So I wanted to complete my training and be initiated. So I did ended up going back to the group, back to the church and completed my initiation training, which was really cool, very interesting. But I also knew intuitively, because I've always had a very strong intuition, I just knew intuitively I didn't want to stay there. I just wanted to get what I had originally went for. I wanted my year-in-a-day training. I wanted my initiation. So I went back, got initiated, and then I decided, you know, because they were going to have me be responsible for all the Sabbaths for the year. The Dianic tradition got me to a certain point where I felt more comfortable with myself and I wasn't interested in following a tradition that was just female. I wanted to experience the male aspects of uh, the God. I wanted to, uh, I was actually starting to get interested in ceremonial magic, which didn't really jive with Dianics. And it just wasn't, where I belonged anymore. So after I got my initiation, I ended up leaving and I went back to being a solitaire for a while.
1: You attended Lori Cabot's witchcraft as a science class in 2003. Yep. Tell us what that was like. Oh, wow. That was awesome. Um, for me, Lori
2: Cabot was like my introduction to witchcraft. I mean, I I really had wanted to meet her. Um, She held all this so much magic to me from the beginning. So when I was finally able to take her course, her first course, she has several courses, but take the Witchcraft as a Science course with a friend of mine. We did it together. We stayed in Salem for the week because it ran, I think, four days. Took the classes with her, and in her witchcrafts, the science course, she talks a lot about meditation work, and she teaches you how to use your psychic abilities. So the emphasis with Lori Cabot is a lot of psychic work. We would learn how to do protection meditation, how to do um, psychic diagnosis, which is where we. Each had to come up with a couple of people that we personally knew that had a medical diagnosis. Didn't matter what it was. Something that we knew they had. And then what we would do is we would get into small groups of two. And we would just say the person's name, their age, and where they lived. And then we would have to go into what Lori Cabot calls the alpha state. So she has a technique where she teaches you how to... Go into that alpha state, which is like right now in regular waking consciousness, we're in beta state. Alpha state is the state we're in when we're drifting off to sleep. We're not asleep yet, but we're not completely conscious either. And that's the state where magic happens. That's the state where we tap into our psychic abilities and can, you know, connect with spirits and the gods and connect with other people psychically. So we would go into that state and we'd say the person's name, age, where they're located. And then in the alpha state, we would use the technique that she taught. And then we would start to like, you'd be able to tell, like, you'd get get like a screen picture of what the person looked like, their hair, short, long, the color of their hair, the color of their eyes, how much they weighed you would just do them any tattoos. I mean, all this stuff, you would basically do like a whole assessment of what the person looked like. And the person across from you would be basically letting you know if you're accurate or not. And then you would finally get to the point where you would be able to figure out what was wrong with them. So like in my case, one of the people I was working with, one of the people that she had given me to read, I did not know. I, kept, I have my eyes closed. I'm in alpha and I'm doing this and I'm I kept saying, I can't see, I can't see, I can't see what it is. Well, the woman was blind. So it kind of gave me like a different way of seeing things intuitively. Like sometimes when you're reading people, you'll like feel what's actually going on, but you don't realize that it's psychically what's happening. So that was a really cool experience. And that was the last thing we did at the end of the class in order to graduate, so to speak. And that was really... Really cool. And ever since then, like I, when I looked back east, I used to go to Salem several times a year. Various friends would come with me and so on. At any time that I went to Lori's shop, and her shop isn't there anymore, but back then she spent a lot of time in her store. I mean, you could go in there, you didn't see her necessarily. She could be in her reading room, she could be on the other side of the store, but you would just like feel her presence. Like she dripped magic. I don't know how to explain it other than you have to experience it, I guess. I don't really see that very much these
1: days. It must have been magical just being in her class. Oh, it was.
2: It was definitely. I was a little intimidated, to be honest. She was such a force back then, you know. I think she still teaches, actually, even though she's like 90, I think. But she still teaches.
1: So really, she helped you? open the door to develop your psychic abilities.
2: Yes, definitely. Mm -hmm.
1: So from the time you took that class until now, would you say they are well-developed?
2: Yes. I think I'm still very intuitive. Um, I've always been very intuitive. Uh, Clairvoyant, I've always been a seer. I do see energy. I see spirits. Um, Along with witchcraft, I also... Was trained as a massage therapist, and I was also trained as a Reiki master back in the nineties. So all of those abilities, along with Lori Cabot's training, definitely would open up my psychic abilities. I would see stuff when I did when I do healing work, just energy work on people. I can see their guys, their loved ones. I can pick up on what's going on with them, and it helps with tarot reading too. But I don't do um, I don't do like the um, medical diagnosis, just because it's. I'd rather someone go to a doctor than to come to a psychic if they're having medical problems. So But it's kind of it's cool to do the exercise with someone to see that you have the ability to tap into that. I think that was the whole point of why she taught it. Not so that you'd be like a medical, you know, psychic or something like that, but just so that you would know that you are tapping into someone's energy when you go into alpha you have their name and information, you're almost like taking a photo of that person energetically and viewing it in your mind.
1: Over all these years, has the craft changed from the 90s versus to today?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's completely different now. Again, like I said, like in the 90s, it's like you had to have a shop near you. You had to have uh, go to your bookstore and just depend on that small little section they had for information or catalogs. Back then you had to get catalogs Um, like I'd get the Llewellyn catalog because that was one of the few uh, metaphysical um, publishers at the time although there are a couple of other ones. Nowadays, it just seems like everything's out there. You have social media, you have Facebook groups, you have Discord groups, you have YouTube, you have TikTok. And so there's so much information out there. So many people sharing their information. And sometimes that's a great thing. Sometimes it's not. Um, There's also a lot of misinformation that goes on around out there. and I also find that now it seems like, like when I was new to witchcraft, witches was a witch was a witch. Okay. So you were a witch. Wicca and witchcraft were like synonymous. They just went together. Whether you were Wiccan or not wasn't the point. Wicca and witchcraft were just synonymous. Nowadays it seems like everything is like, there's like a hundred different types of witches. You know, there's a kitchen witch. There's a green witch. There's, I don't know. A Reiki witch, maybe. I don't know. There's there's just like a hundred different types of folk witchcraft. And everybody has like all these different types of witchcraft, but they're all just witchcraft to me. Because that's the way it was when I was growing up. I mean, you may have certain areas that you excelled at more than others, which is normal. Every witch has certain areas they're better at than others, but you didn't call yourself a specific type of witch. You were just a witch. So I think that's changed a lot. You can also get a, a lot more ritual supplies easily now than you could then too. You can go on Amazon and you can buy uh, kits of herbs and kits of crystals and all kinds of stuff. Of course, the quality is probably not as good as it was back in the day when everything was more handmade. But
1: That's what we have Etsy for, for all the hand crafters.
2: Oh, I love it! Yeah, there's a lot of great people on there. I would definitely always tell people to always go to Etsy first for your supplies or make your own. You know, I made my first athame when I was seventeen, and it was really rudimentary, but it meant everything to me because I made it myself. A lot of people today they want to like they get interested in witchcraft and they feel like they have to go online and buy like a whole like Wicca kit like for your altar and all this stuff. But, you know, you don't have to buy everything. You can make your supplies, which I think holds more magic if you make your own supplies, you know, personally.
1: They may not look as pretty. Because there's more magic behind them.
2: Yes, yes, because you're putting your energy into them, definitely.
1: And you'll find, too, as, you know, with witches, I
2: don't, you know, I don't know if you've experienced this yourself, but early on you feel like you have to have all these accoutrements but then as you grow as a witch and evolve and you're trained and all that you don't need any of it you really don't i mean a good witch can pull a ritual out of her you know her hoo-ha hoo-ha or wherever. Yeah. You can just pull it out wherever you are. You don't need to have all these accoutrements. The magic is in you. I think a lot of people like to treat like, like you have a lot of spell books out. I'm not a huge fan of those because I think, I think people tend to treat it like a recipe book. And they're like, oh, I'll put this incense in here, you know, and then these crystals and these herbs. But the real magic is in yourself and the energy that you put into it. You can use all the herbs and candles and stuff you want. If you're not putting your energy into it, it's not going to matter. So you're the magic as the witch. It can be as elaborate or as simple as you want it to be. Definitely.
1: Definitely. You are the owner of Open Heart Mystic Intuitive Tarot Reading, where you offer spiritual guidance. Tell us about your practice. It's very, very new.
2: I don't even have the website up. <laughs> I bought the domain no name, but I don't have the website up yet. I'm hoping to have it up by the end of October. Um, this happened completely by the gods, I would say. I have a working relationship with the god Odin, who I've had a relationship with the last two years since moving out to Montana. I've worked with tarot all my life, on and off, but I've never done it professionally. You know, I've done it for friends and family, and and other witches and so on do exchanges. But I've like decided recently that I wanted to do more readings for people that I didn't know, but I've been having a hard time finding groups to do that. in. I know there's some on Facebook, but I basically, I want to say it came from, from Odin like this, you know, like, okay, there's a person that I follow on Facebook. I don't really know her very well. Her name is Marsha. She lives um, in the Billings area of Montana. And she's an energy healer and all this stuff. And I thought, well, let me check with her and see if she knows of any groups or anything. I know that there's some groups in Billings, but it's a long drive. It's two and a half hours. So going there during the week is a little bit of a challenge. I wouldn't be able to do that. So I just kind of messaged her um, on Facebook and I'm like, do you know of any groups where I can do tarot exchanges? And she's like, no, not really. I can look for you. And she said, but I'd be willing to do an exchange with you if you want. And I'm like, all right, that sounds good. So um, we set up a time to do an exchange and I gave her a tarot reading. And right after I gave her a tarot reading, she goes, you know, I'm, I, Putting together some expos in the fall, would you like to do uh, readings at the expos? Because I think the reading was accurate. You did a great job. And I'm like, okay, this is Odin telling me that this is what I need to do. And so I just kind of jumped right into it. I wasn't planning on starting a tarot business or anything like that. So I said yes, took the opportunity. And so now I'm just trying to get everything ready. I'll be doing a couple of expos and billings.
1: Congratulations. That's how it starts.
2: That is how it starts. And of course, as you know, I'm also co-host of Mystic Initiations.
1: You are? Yeah. I was going to ask about that. Tell us about your podcast.
2: So our podcast is called Mystic Initiations, and we're both witches and we decided it would be fun to take our combined experiences and just start a podcast and talk about all kinds of things, magical, mystical, and mysterious. Um, We've talked about aliens, we've talked about ghosts, (laughs) witchcraft, magic, the gods, all kinds of stuff. It's a little bit up in the air at the moment because I've been busy getting my business started And Aridia just moved recently back to Montana and is very busy um, getting things started. But we're hoping to have a podcast episode coming out next week. So we've also interviewed a couple of people. We interviewed you and we also interviewed a couple of other witches not that long ago. Our last guest was Oracle Hecateos, who is an author um, and priest in Greek tradition, Hellenistic tradition.
1: With all your knowledge and experience, what advice can you give the listeners about witchcraft, especially if they're new to the craft? I
2: would say the most important thing, honestly, is to follow your own intuition. It's important to follow your own internal guidance. If something feels like it calls to you, then pursue it. Study it. Always You know, give it a chance. But if something feels wrong, then you shouldn't do it. And I say this especially when it comes to covens. Most people in covens are great, but finding a coven is like finding a family. And you really want to connect with the people. So don't get discouraged if you don't have a group to practice with. Most witches practice as solitary at some point. We've all been solitary. I've been solitary for the last few years, but now. I'm going to be running a coven again, um, a small coven here locally. But just follow your intuition. Read as much information as you can. There are some great authors out there. Matt Aron is great. Devin Hunter is great. Christopher Pendak. Any of those books are really good books to start with. Lori Cabot. You can read her books, but they're they're much older. So <laughs> um, you can certainly you can still find them though. They're still available. But I would definitely just say, mostly just follow your intuition and your own inner guidance. Don't let anybody tell you. It's very common, especially in social media. A lot of people say, uh, I've seen this a lot. Oh, you're not a witch because you do A, B, C, or D. Um, Witchcraft is a totally personal and intuitive practice. It is between you, the spirits, your guides, and the gods. And nobody else. Even if you belong in a coven, you're always practicing by yourself. So find your own connection to the gods. You don't need to spend a lot of money. You don't have to take a whole lot of classes. Let the gods guide you. Yeah, just follow your intuition.
1: Thank you, Lady Dakana, for your years of experience as a solitary and your experience in the Dianic tradition. And I really envy you for being able to take that course with Lori Cabot. I would have loved meeting her. But she still does classes. And I think she does some of them
2: online now, but they're they're expensive. They're not cheap.
1: Thank you for being on the show. Well, thank you for having me. Blessed be.
2: And have a great evening, everybody. Blessed be.
0: Thank you for joining us for Witchcasting with Theodora Pendragon. Have a burning question or have a topic you'd love Theodora and her guests to discuss on the show? Contact her through Instagram at Theodora Pendragon. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. And help us spread the word by leaving us a rating and review and sharing it with your friends. See you next time, and may your magic always shine.